informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you on this Friday, November the 25th. 2022 on the feast day of St. Catherine of Alexandria, virgin and martyr. Praise be to God. How was Thanksgiving? Was it great? Did you, uh, you know, eat too much? Good news is you now you got something to confess when you go to confession next. Praise be to God. Uh, but here's a real question in my mind. Are you allowed to eat meat today? It's Friday. Can you eat meat today? Hmm. Is there such a thing as a turkey indult? Did we have permission from Holy Mother Church to eat as much meat as we would like on on Friday? I guess the only redeeming thing is uh, it's Black Friday, so you're going to be too busy shopping to sit by and eat meat, working off all that food you ate yesterday. And uh, by the way, Black Friday special on all CDT merch, 95% off. <laughs> Just to use uh, promo code WHOME in the, uh, in the checkout. WHOME? WHOME? <laughs> Anyway, yeah, every uh, every order over a dollar is going to mm-hmm. get a replica of the coffee cup of what? divine providence. Over well. a dollar, mm-hmm. and we're also doing free shipping. That is amazing. But uh, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Joe, I mm-hmm. thought did you say what was a feast day today? Because actually, it's the feast yeah. day of Black Friday. Oh my, my bad. Maya, Maya culpa. Yeah. Can I say that? It's a first-class feast. Mea culpa. Uh, We are going to have a fun show today, nonetheless. Uh, We are going to be talking about the turkey indult. It's a thing. People actually believe that there is an indult. Adrian Fonseca is going to be jumping into that during the show today. Also coming up at 15 past the hour, you might remember the Summer of Shame and then, you know, the McCarrick scandals and all of that. There was also a story about a priest a couple of years ago who committed some very perverse, disgusting, satanic acts and it was a big scandal in the Covington, Louisiana area. Well, there's a there's an update to his story. He has pleaded guilty. I'm going to share that story with you at 15 past the hour. Uh, lots of stories in the news, of course, uh, in a new unprecedented effort. Scientists at the University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. That sounds very formal. Uh, they scrutinized decades of research on red meat consumption and its links to various health outcomes, formulating a new rating system to communicate health risks in the process. Their findings? It's great to eat meat. Praise be to God. Mm. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Eat yeah. meat. Like I do. Uh, I'm meat, convinced. I will, not is good se- stuff. I will not seek out any further information. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> this is a study that's proving red meat is not as bad as everybody says it is. But you know what is bad? What is? Seed oils. Oh, yikes. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, there is new information out. There's a new report about excess deaths that are spiking in 2022, up 15% actually, according to a new report from the Service Corporation International, the largest uh, for-profit funeral operator in North America. They're, They're saying, listen, we have eliminated the pandemic as part of the data. We're looking, we're comparing to what 2019 numbers were. We should now be back to regular numbers, but instead of being back to regular, we're up 15% over 2019 in sudden deaths and excess deaths. We don't know why, but it's, uh, but it's a thing. It's a real thing. Also, in uh, unrelated news, that documentary film, Died Suddenly, is now at 5 million-plus views over on Rumble. Amazing. Amazing. But anyway. double by the time we get this aired. Yeah. Uh, how was your uh, Thanksgiving there, Rudy? Oh, it was... 
such a wonderful time. Just spend time with my family. Really? I uh, kicked my feet up on the kitchen. No, I didn't kick my feet up, but I had some turkey. Did, are you I the, had some mashed potatoes. Are you the kind of guy who doesn't, like, you think it's rude to put one's feet on a table? Uh, the kitchen table. On the kitchen table. But aren't you the his, king of your home? The I am the king of, of your home? I am the king of the Master home. Master of no, your castle? Is of which home. is why, which is why, <laughs> yeah, my landlord is, which is why I usually just lay down mm. on my bench. I, I have one of those bench seats on my yeah. 16th century table. Really? So I usually just kind of lay down like a peasant. That's amazing. Because I don't own my home. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian, how about you? How was uh, how was Turkey Day for you? Oh, it was great. I already know. I can I can I can tell. Mm-hmm. I went to Holy Mass. What? Yes, and I gave thanks to God for all of His benefits. All of and them. And even. For the crosses that he gives me. Amen. Thank does you. He, Thank does, you, Lord, for those crosses. He gives you crosses? He does. He does. Mm. Joe's like, man, that must stink. I've never given, been given a cross before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the real question is, did I break my carnivore fast? That is the real question. Yeah, did Everybody you? wants to know. Did you do it? <sighs> Joe, it's also Monday. Joe, did you do it? Uh, maybe we could talk about it on Monday's after show. Ooh. All right. Because we're actually still not here. We're, <gasps> we're still pre-recording all of this <laughs> and hoping that you have a fantastic Friday. But uh, we'll be back with uh, live performances on Monday with another round of Fear and Trembling. So we've already given out the prize for this week. So there's no game show in the second hour for those of you that do join us. But we do have a great uh, couple of hours ahead for you with brand new content. Like I said, Turkey and Dole, plus a What's Concerning Us this hour. I think we should pray and we should jump in. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and now your Saint of the Day with Adrian Fonseca. The Saint of the Day is Saint Catherine of Alexandria. After the unsuccessful attempt to kill Catherine on the wheel, Emperor Maxentius ordered her to be beheaded. She was conducted to the place of her martyrdom, followed by a multitude, mainly ladies of high condition, who wept at her fate. The virgin walked with a great calm before dying. She said this prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, my God, I thank thee for having firmly set my feet on the rock of the faith and directed my steps on the pathway of salvation. Open now thy arms, wounded on the cross, to receive my soul, which I offer in sacrifice to the glory of thy name. Forgive the faults I committed in ignorance, and wash my soul in the blood I will shed for thee. Do not leave my body slaughtered by love for thee. In the power of those who hate me, kindly regard this people and give them the knowledge of the truth. Finally, O Lord, in thy infinite mercy, exalt those who invoke thee through me so that thy name be always glorified. After saying these words, she told the soldiers to execute their orders, and she was beheaded with but one blow of the sword. Soon numerous miracles began to take place. Her body, as she had asked, was carried away by angels and buried on Mount Sinai so that she might rest where God had written on stone his law, which she had so faithfully kept written on her heart. It is beautiful to see the contrast of spirits in the picture and the different graces the Holy Ghost was giving. The ladies were weeping, probably touched by the gift of tears, 
But St. Catherine did not weep. She was calm, serene, and walks unswervingly toward death. Inundated by another kind of grace of the Holy Ghost, she did not weep over her situation, that martyrdom which grace moved the others to lament. One can imagine how impressive it was to see the, that cortege of ladies walking beside the aisles of soldiers, and then to find out that only one who was serene, counseling the others to be tranquil, was St. Catherine, who was shortly to die. Then, before her life ended, she said a prayer. It has the beauty of shining lights that fill the skies and emanate from many places. They do not come from just one source, from one central idea. So she began, Lord Jesus Christ, my God, even as the emperor tried to oblige her to adore the idols, she affirmed the divinity of our Lord to show that she did not recognize any other God but him. The next thing she did, I thank thee for having firmly set my feet on the rock of faith and directed to my, my steps on the path of salvation. This is to say, I thank you for making me belong to you, the source of my salvation. You are the origin of every good that exists in me. I am good because you are good and gave me the, sol the solidity of the Catholic faith. You gave me love of virtue and gave me the firmness to practice it. I recognize that everything that exists in me came from you. She continued, Open now thy arms, wounded on the cross, to receive my soul, which I offer in sacrifice to the glory of thy name. Nothing more beautiful can exist. She asked her crucified Lord to open his bloodied arms to receive her soul as she left this life. Do not leave my body slaughtered by love for thee and the power of those who hate me. After having asked our Lord to attend to her soul, she asked refuge for her body. You could see the respect she had for her own body for the sanctity of the body that was her companion in the practice of virtue. And what a magnificent response to this request. For soon after she died, she was taken to Mount Calvary. Once this prayer was said, she calmly told the soldiers to carry out their sentence. No trembling, no desire to prolong her life a little more. Also no precipitation, which sometimes is reflected in fear. No, she said everything she wanted to say. And when she finished, she delivered herself into the hands of God. The soldiers beheaded her, and immediately afterwards, her prayers started to be answered. What grace should we ask of St. Catherine of Alexandria? We should ask her that when the chastisement predicted in Fatima will be realized, and when we face the enemies of the church in Christendom, that we have the same serenity that she gave in face of death. It is a serenity that only grace can give in face of death. There are two kinds of serenity. One of the idiot, and the other comes from grace. Death, the separation of the body and soul, the apparent plunging into nothingness is such a terrible thing that only two kinds of serenity are comprehensible. That of the idiot who never measures the consequences of anything and the serenity of the means inundated by grace. So let us ask St. Catherine to help us be calm in every situation in our lives and especially in the risk and dangers of life and even in the extreme sacrifice of death if that should be the will of Our Lady for us. St. Catherine of Alexandria, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Luke 21, verses 29 through 33. Jesus told his disciples a parable. Consider the fig tree and all the other trees. When their buds burst open, you see for yourselves and know that summer is now near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Amen, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The Gospel 
of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Adrian, what did uh, Cornelius Alapide have to say today? Yes, Cornelius Alapide had a lot to say about today's passage. Uh, looking forward to the end of the world. He says, Verily I say, this generation, that is to say, of all men, or this age, which shall last until the end of the world. So St. Jerome, as though Christ had said, Before the end of the world, all these things shall come to pass. I read that and I was like, Okay, Jerome. That's kind of obvious. Like, obviously, before the end of the world, all the things that our Lord said will happen. That makes sense. Though, Origen, Hillary, and Chrysostom say that the generation is more restricted, in a sense, to mean the generation of believers of Christians. So, like, for instance, you have the generation of the Jews, and then now you have the generation of the Christians. And so he says here that they who are now sprung from Christ, to whom Christ was speaking in the person of his apostles— According to the words of Psalm 24, 6, this is a generation of them that seek the Lord. As though the Lord had said, the Christian religion, which I have instituted, shall not come to an end until Christians who faithfully serve me are rewarded by me and crowned in the day of judgment. This would uh, further prove the fact that our Lord says the gates of hell shall never prevail against his church. So this is what Chrysostom, Hillary, and Origen seem to think this passage is referring to. The other thing is, when will the end of the world happen? Cornelius Lapide gives five different predictions, and I'll give you one, and the one that I like the most. He says that there will be the amount of time between the beginning of time to the coming of Christ, from Christ to the end of the world. And so Cornelius Lapide believed there was 4,000 years from the creation to Christ, and so there will be 4,000 years from Christ to the end of the world, which means we got 2,000 years before the end of the world. So there's a fun fact for you today. The other thing from Cornelius Lapide on this passage is to prepare ourselves. Because the day of judgment is coming. The day of judgment is coming even if it's 2,000 years away. Our judgment will come very soon. For at any moment, we could die. And when we die, we have to realize we don't, have, we don't wait 2,000 years before we get judged. It is an immediacy. Immediately, we die, and then there is judgment. So let's prepare our hearts Let's prepare our minds, especially since we're the coming of Advent. Because during the season of Advent, what do we do or what should we do? We should prepare for the coming of Christ. And so these things are the things that we should meditate upon today. Let's meditate upon the end of the world and prepare ourselves for Christ's coming. Amen. Praise be to God. Don't go anywhere. Coming up after the quick break, we have what's concerning us, plus the turkey indult still to come this hour. Don't go anywhere. Catholic Drive Time is headed your way. Do us a favor, though. And share us with a friend. We'll be right back. Atheists claim they don't need God to be a good person, implying God's not relevant to morality. But is this true? Well, atheists can be good in the sense of knowing behaviors that respect the goods of human nature and living accordingly. St. Paul acknowledges this natural moral law in Romans chapter 2. But this doesn't mean God is irrelevant when it comes to morality. And here's the reason. Besides God's grace being necessary to live the moral law perfectly and merit heaven, God is necessary for the law to be morally binding. How can the moral law be binding if there's no moral law giver behind it that surpasses human authority? The answer is, it can't. So an atheist can follow the natural moral law. But only the theist is consistent in saying that such a law is morally obligatory. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com.
of us carry such heavy burdens. You're crazy! Deep within, we struggle. Come on, babe. It'll be fun. Because sin separates us from God. She's got a relationship with George. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Coming up at 35 past the hour, uh, Adrian Fonseca dives into what is called the turkey indult. Now, I know you've never heard of it nor have any of your friends or your family. It's never been a discussion point. But today, moving forward, just imagine the conversations around the the dinner table now. You're going to be blown away. Because the real question is, are you allowed to eat meat today? It's Friday. Uh, I wonder if you've ever contemplated that. If you're going to eat meat, what are you going to do instead for penance? Have you ever... Like, actually plan that? I wonder. Uh, that'll be part of the conversation that Adrian's going to jump into. Did the Vatican give us permission to eat meat on the Friday after Thanksgiving? It's called the Turkey Indole. He jumps into that. Join us in that segment if you can. But there are lots of stories in the news that are a great concern to me, and I'm sure they are to you as well. And here's an update on a story that we, of course, reported on when it happened two years ago. You might remember the summer of shame. <clears throat> that was 2018. The McCarrick scandals. And then all of a sudden we started seeing scandal after scandal with other stories in the news that involved bishops and cardinals and other priests. Well, now, this story came out two years ago out of Covington, Louisiana, a priest that was involved in horrible, horrible, perverse things. Uh, I'm going to read to you a bit of this article out of the WAFB Channel 9. And here's the headline. Ex-Catholic priest caught making sex tape on Pearl River Church altar, pleads guilty to felony obscenity. Do you remember this story? I wonder if you remember this story. It was so obscene, so horrible. I could not believe my eyes when I remember this coming into the headlines. Like, how could this even be possible? You know, we just wrapped up a conversation this week with uh, Dr. Paul Kengor about his brand new book, or that he helped to co-write, The Devil and Bella Dodd, One Woman's Struggle Against Communism in Her Redemption. And one of the big issues in this book that is uh, sort of solved, the mystery, is whether or not Bella Dodd actually did claim to help infiltrate the Catholic Church and seminaries in particular with communist men. And then what was the result of that? This book dives deep and gets into the nitty-gritty details. No more conjecture. The book makes it clear. So I wonder, is what we're seeing in this story the fruit of the communist infiltration from the, that time in the church post-World War II. Well, let's get into this article here and give you the update. It says, quote, the former Catholic priest caught recording a sex tape with two dominatrix, 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 I have no idea how you say that, on the altar of his Pearl River Church two years ago pleaded guilty on Monday to a felony count of obscenity as part of a plea bargain, according to his attorney. Travis Clark 39 years old, entered the plea before the 22nd Judicial District Judge Ellen Creel and received a suspended three-year prison sentence, three years of supervised probation, and was ordered to pay $1,000 fine. Wow, golly gee whiz, Judge. We don't want to go too harsh here, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) The article goes on to say defense attorney Michael Kennedy, who represented Clark, with co-counsel Mark 
Horner said Clark already had paid $8,000 in restitution to the Archdiocese of New Orleans. Is that the cost? It's like 30 pieces of silver. Is that the cost of, uh, of doing these types of depraved, demonic activity? I, I'm just curious. It's a total of $9,000. I wonder what the value is of the, the damage that he's caused and the hearts and minds of the parishioners who go to that church, let alone Catholics around the world. This was in New Orleans, by the way. After a furious Archbishop Gregory Amen declared that the altar desecrated and ordered it burned and replaced after the October 2020 incident. Let's go ahead and play his commentary, Adrian. Uh, you'll see this video directly, or you'll listen to his comments, but if you're watching, you can see his video. Go ahead. His desecration of the altar in the church was demonic, and I am infuriated by his actions. When the details became clear, we had the altar removed and burned. I will consecrate a new altar tomorrow. Okay, pause it there. So that uh, that is the Archbishop's commentary, and I got to say, hats off to the Archbishop for taking that, those those measures, right? I mean, like the altar was now it was gone. Like you, you can't just leave it there, and he burned it because it's sacred. It's consecrated. You can't just dispose of it. I'm not sure. Was it a wooden altar? I have no idea. Wooden altars burn easy. What if it was a stone altar? What would you do then? Bury it, I suppose? You'd dig a giant hole and put it in the earth? Uh, but nonetheless, he reconsecrated a new altar and assigned a new pastor. This article goes on to say, Kennedy said he was grateful to the judge that suspended his sentence, but questioned the fairness of the state's insistence that his client plead guilty to a felony. Uh, that's not fair. That's not just. Hmm. Interesting. The female performers involved in the incident, 30-year-old Melissa Chang of Alfreta, Georgia, and 43-year-old Mindy Dixon of Kent, Washington, pleaded guilty in July to only misdemeanor counts, and uh, they also were spared prison time and were sentenced to just two years probation each. Quote, I believe my client is far less likely to find himself in a similar situation ever again, close quote, Kennedy said. Going on to say, quote, wherever life takes Mr. Clark from here, I hope it finds him well and able to put, his, put this fully behind him, close quote. Clark was defrocked after an arrest that shocked his congregation, the Archdiocese, and the Pearl River community. According to the court documents filed by Pearl River Police, a passerby who noticed lights on October the 1st inside the St. Peter's and Paul Catholic Church called authorities. The witness said the women and Travis could be seen through the church's window and glass doors engaged in these perverse acts, these diabolical acts, on the church's altar in front of a tripod-mounted camera. An arrest warrant uh, affidavit said police arrested the priest, the two women who were dressed in horrible, scantily clad outfits, and they confiscated other items there that were part of these perverse, diabolical, devious, horrific, disgusting behaviors. Uh, my words. I'm embellishing here a little bit. <clears throat> Amen removed Clark from the Catholic ministry the day after his arrest, praise be to God, expressing then his revulsion and disgust. Quote, his obscene behavior was deplorable. His desecration of the altar and the church was demonic, close quote, Archbishop Amen said. And I am infuriated by his actions. It is, um, it is amazing to me, because the question comes to my mind, exactly how is it possible that this man made it through seminary? 
Can you explain that to me? How is it possible? Now, I understand that not all seminaries are created equal. I, I get that. Some are have better formation than others. Uh, some have better candidates than others. Seems reasonable. But nonetheless, I think it's also fair and just to ask the question, shouldn't we expect, as the lay faithful, shouldn't we expect that no man of this nature ever makes it through seminary? ever, under any circumstances, I think that's reasonable. I don't think that's beyond the the shadow, beyond the pale uh, of reasonableness. No seminary on planet Earth should allow this kind of a guy to make it through. If I'm not mistaken, now I could be wrong, and feel free to correct me in in the commentaries on our live video feeds, but I I could be wrong, but if I'm not mistaken, there's extensive psychological evaluations that go on in all these seminaries. They all, now there are. They, well, this guy surely had to go through one. He's not even that old. Yeah, He's barely older than, than Rudy over there. So yeah. my point is, this is a fairly recent priest. Not yesterday, but fairly recent in the grand scheme of things. How is this possible he made it through seminary? Are you telling me he had no issues through seminary? I wonder. I wonder if anybody has checked into his seminary information record, has interviewed his fellow seminarians from that time, maybe his rector. His formator. His yeah. formator. I wonder what their opinions are of this man, how he seemed to make it through, because this is exactly the kind of behaviors that were being uh, perpetuated by the uh, Soviet Comintern in the United States trying to infiltrate seminaries in the 30s, 40s, and 50s in America. Not just Catholic ones, but the clear documented evidence of Protestant ones as well. So is this the fruit of a communist infiltration? Is this the, uh, the, final, the final point to the communists wanting to infiltrate the seminaries? Is it possible we could be seeing uh, this fruit right here, right now? The next question is, in my mind, is if this man rationalized his behavior to want to film himself acting in such diabolical and perverse ways on an altar with these two other women. Doesn't this raise a doubt in your mind about what he believes, what he doesn't believe? In fact, I would want to go on to ask the question, if I were a parishioner at this church, could it be possible that this priest, in fact, didn't hold the church's intention when it, can't, when it comes to the sacraments? Is it possible he believes in the true presence of Christ at all in the Holy Eucharist? And is it possible that if he will act in this way, that maybe, just maybe, he never ever really intended what the church intends in consecrating the bread and the wine, transforming it into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And if that's the case, if he didn't intend what the church intends, then those were sacrilegious sacraments, and those people received them in vain. You see how this could be reverberating? I don't know if it's true or not. I have no idea what this man believes or not. I have no idea. I would hope and pray for the sake of those parishioners that he actually did intend what the church intends, even if he personally doubted it. Would it be worse if they did or didn't? <sighs> Either way, the sacrilege. The, the sacrilege and the scandal is big. It's huge. It is so diabolical for a Catholic priest, an ordained man with an indelible mark on his soul... To, to act and behave in this way, on an altar, nonetheless. And uh, I, I wonder how many of those parishioners are still there. How many left? I imagine it, ha- it would have to be a great number of those parishioners are like, we're out of here. And prayerfully, they just went to another Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Prayerfully, they didn't. But I'm willing to bet some did leave the church altogether. 
because they were so scandalized. And maybe this is what our Lord means in the gospel when he says, it would be better for some to have never been born than to cause one of the least ones, one of my little ones, to commit a sin. For millstones will be fashioned and placed around their neck and they will be cast into the sea. It is so incredible to me that there are men who have been ordained and somehow made it through a seminary. Now, maybe it's possible he made it through seminary just fine. Come on, Joe. Maybe he had a great time in seminary. He believed. He was zealous. He was on fire. Loved the Lord. And somehow, after, after his ordination, he succumbed to his, uh, his perverse, disordered uh, desires. Okay, so how many people do you know who watch pornography, you know, masturbate, practice adultery, fornication, and other horrible, evil crimes? How many of them are doing videos on an altar? Don't you agree that that's, a, that's above and beyond? That's a level that goes beyond the, the normal, ordinary pale, and the normal is bad enough as it is. The scandal is, is very grave. And I personally believe, my personal belief is, $9,000 is way too cheap a price for the level of scandal that he has now committed and caused within the body of Christ. What would St. Louis IX do? Oh boy. Death penalty, probably. 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 Almost certainly. Now, I don't wish for this man to go to hell. I do want him to be in heaven. I have no idea the state of his soul or whether or not he is in fact still Catholic. The article does not say. But acts of reparation must be, must be performed for his sake. Are there any who will do so? I wonder. Don't go anywhere. Coming up after the break, Adrian Fonseca dives into the turkey indults. We'll be right back. This, this is, is Dale Auguste with, with a Chesterton Chester Minute. Minute. Have you ever noticed that most people think that rules apply to others but not to themselves? They always consider themselves to be the exception. But what ends up happening is that everybody is an exception, and so the rules don't apply to anybody. The result is something worse than chaos. It's a loss of all the categories of respect and justice. G.K. Chesterton says that when the exception has become the rule, that is the worst of all possible tyrannies. When the Cardinal, formerly known as Ratzinger, gave his final homily before the papal conclave, he said, we are living under the tyranny of relativism. What is relativism? It's when there are no rules, only exceptions. The man about to become Pope was echoing Chesterton exactly. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for vocations to the priesthood. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for priestly vocations? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Jesus Christ. Today is Friday after Thanksgiving, traditionally a day of abstinence. However, we just had a bunch of turkey yesterday. So what does that mean for us? Does that mean we can have turkey? Well, let's talk about that right now. 
But did Pius XII also grant a turkey indult that allowed the U.S. Catholics to eat flesh meat the day after Thanksgiving, as it is often alleged? The answer is no. Beginning in 1931, the Holy See granted American bishops the faculty to dispense from the laws of fast and or abstinence on civil holidays. The bishops, however, rarely took advantage of it. And the faculty received that, and moreover, the faculty they received did not include the day after a civil holiday. And the closest thing they could that this person could find in the article, the quote is here. It says a turkey indult in 1965. Quote: Roman Catholics in the Archdiocese of New York will hear the announcement at tomorrow's mass that on the Friday following Thanksgiving they need not refrain from eating meat. The dispensation granted by each bishop with the power from the Vatican will probably be in effect in most American dioceses. So that's saying that the bishops had permission to dispense people, but not every bishop did. Less than a year later, so this is also important, and this is why the answer is kind of maybe. Less than a year later, the church would no longer require Friday abstinence under pain of sin except during Lent. Current canon law defines Friday as an obligatory day of penance, the standard form of which is abstinence from flesh meat. Other forms of penances, however, may be done instead. If, then, one wishes to enjoy turkey and cranberry sandwiches on Black Friday, one can, by doing some other form of penance besides abstinence, the 1931 Vatican letter concerning the civic holiday indult recommends making some offering, especially in favor of the poor." Now, before I move on to this article, I want to go over here real quick and look at the turkey indult because the only evidence that we found, that the person here found of the turkey indult was a question box from Father Daniel Brennan. And the reader asked, I am wondering why a dispensation was not given for the first for the Friday after Thanksgiving this year or why one was given last year. Father Brennan responds, and this is a great response for anybody today who's wondering about a kind of like ecclesiastical laws. He says, if you would insist that there is a good cause for such dispensation because the Holy Father granted it in 1958, I would remind you that the Pope does not need a justifying reason to dispense from mere church law. And in granting the relaxation of the abstinence on the Friday after Thanksgiving in 1958, which proves that it did happen, he set no precedent but granted a particular favor for a particular year. This would seem to be the first documented instance. Okay, there it goes. Shortly after the Civil War, the New York Times explained that although Catholics were sure to enjoy their Thanksgiving dinner, their religion will not permit the use of the forms of their church in commemoration of a secular holiday. They got it half right. We have already seen that the church can and did offer a mass of Thanksgiving on this day. The traditional Roman Missal also includes several votive masses suitable for the occasion, such as Mass for Peace and diverse orations, such as prayers for the country's rulers. Finally, priests can celebrate a votive mass in honor of our nation's patron saint, which since 1847 has been Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception. But the Times was correct insofar as Catholic worship does not directly incorporate secular holidays into its liturgical calendar. This is very important. I'm going to reread this and I want you to I'm going to read it slowly because this is going to be an important point to note between the history of the Catholic Church in America until 1968. But the Times was correct insofar as Catholic worship does not directly incorporate secular holidays into its liturgical calendar, that is, until after the Second Vatican Council. In November 1968, a subcommittee of the American Bishops' Committee on the Liturgy composed a, quote, special Thanksgiving Day Mass that speaks 
quote, directly to the American understanding of the annual Thanksgiving observance, end quote. The new mass was first celebrated in November 1969 and has since undergone two revisions. In 1968, propers were replaced with new or expanded prayers, and the 1974 and 1985 American editions of the sacramentary, and these in turn were replaced in the 2011 edition. You, you all probably remember, or maybe people remember the earlier change too, but I remember, I was young and I'm old enough to remember the 2011 changes, which was crazy whenever that happened everybody was freaking out like trying to figure out and it were small changes too but it was it was crazy when it happened i would have been i guess 11 when that happened 12 13 13 12 12 i would have been 12 all three versions succeed in speaking directly of the american understanding of thanksgiving day but to what degree they speak directly of a catholic understanding of things is a matter of some debate the 1968 preface for example proclaims quote it has come to pass in each generation for all who have believed that Jesus, by his death and resurrection, gave them a new freedom in his spirit. It happened to our fathers who came to this land as if out of the desert into a place of promise and hope, end quote. For those whose ears have been tuned by the sacred liturgy, the reference to our fathers is out of key. Our fathers, patris nostri, in the Roman rites traditional prayers, meant not our fathers of the flesh, and still less of our nation, but our fathers in the faith. See, that's interesting, because immediately when I read this, I had to remind myself this is about Thanksgiving, right? So when it says here, it happened to our fathers who came to this land as if out of the desert into a place of promise and hope, it is equating the fathers of, the, of America, the founding fathers of America, to the desert fathers out of the desert into a place of promise and hope to the desert fathers of the church and the founding fathers the the church fathers the apostolic fathers of the faith that's not good that's bad uh, the founding fathers while they may be great men but they have been may even be brilliant men and some of them even uh, very venerable men virtuous men they were not saints and a lot of them were against the church the catholic church we can't, we can't raise them to the standard of the church fathers. I'm going to continue. If the preface is referring to our founding fathers, it should be recalled that many of them were deists who denied the resurrection. If it is referring to the pilgrims, it should be recalled that they believed that freedom in the spirit meant freedom from the papacy. And if it is referring to our immigrant forebearers, it should be recalled that not all Americans have ancestors who came here freely or experienced it as a place of promise or hope. Okay, that last part, okay, sure, whatever. That's more of a reference to, like, slavery, but, you know, I mean, I guess it's true, but now it is. It's, I mean, it's always been a place of promise or hope, but it wasn't for those people who were brought over as slaves. Yeah, that's true. The 1968 preface, however, is nothing in comparison with that of the 1974-1985 impishly dubbed by priests and seminarians of the time as the quote manifest destiny preface yikes because of its reputed endorsement of the belief that god wanted the american people to rule from sea to shining sea retaining the lofty cant about our fathers from 1968 the 1970 preface goes on to say quote once you chose a people and gave them a destiny and when you brought them out of bondage to freedom, they carried with them the promise that all men would be blessed and all men could be free, end quote. The preface of this Mass, as Father Thomas Kockick pointed out, plays into distinctively American misconstrual of divine election that confuses Christian hope with American exceptionalism. 
and believe that God has given the USA a special mission to be a shining city upon a hill through which, like the covenant made with Abraham, all nations will be blessed. A baptized Catholic is perfectly free to believe this or not, but he may have good reasons not to, for it implies that America, rather than be than the church, had her seven sacraments and God's agent of salvation on earth. And if he is free not to believe it, and perhaps wise not to, why was this inessential, con- controversial, and potentially dangerous doctrine enshrined in the solemn worship of the church? According to the principle of Lex Orandi Lex Credendi, if the church is praying it in her liturgy, she truly believes it. But should all Catholics believe this as an article of faith? Consider how ridiculous it sounds to our Catholic brethren in other parts of the world, and how offensive it must be to the Native American converts. Uh, okay. Fortunately, the Manifest Destiny preface was replaced with more Christocentric language in 2011, but since the new preface also doubles down on American ideals and is not above criticism, quote, You have entrusted to us the great gift of freedom, a gift that calls forth responsibility and commitment to the truth that all have a fundamental dignity before you, end quote. Fine, and how does a civics lesson help us prepare for the next part of the Mass? The sacrifice of lamb without blemish. Another oddity of the new masses is that they they do not actually give thanks to God. The collect in the 1974-1985 edition, which is retained in the 2011, includes the lines, On Thanksgiving Day, we come before you with gratitude for your kindness, but does not go on to thank God for the bounties of the year. Instead, instead it and the other prayers ask for the greater concern for our fellow man. The 1974-1985 and 2011 prayers after communion also neglect to thank God and end with the odd petition, Help us to reach out in love to all your people so that we may share with them the goods of time and eternity. But even the preface, which normally begins with, It is truly just and right everywhere to give thanks to God, in which Pius XII quoted when he speaks of the American Thanksgiving, is missing this key phrase in the new version. Why would you remove one of the Mass's few references to Thanksgiving from your Thanksgiving Day Mass? Fortunately, the verse was restored in 2011, and the Mass of in the 62, the Mass of Thanksgiving in the 1962 Roman Missal, by contrast, gives thanks to God in our collect and in the post-communion. We beseech God in the secret to receive quote our sacrifice of Thanksgiving. The new rites vote of Mass for giving thanks to God is also consistent consistently better in this regard. Almost done with this article. We probably have like 30 minutes at this point. Let me check to see how much time we've covered. Yeah, it's about 33 minutes. We should get you out before an hour up. On peripheral note, the Thanksgiving Day Mass tend to attract music that is unsuitable for the sacred liturgy and even sacrilegious. Rather than the Te Deum, which I highly recommend, go into YouTube, look up the Te Deum and listen to it. I listen to different versions of it too. Uh, I think OP chant, Te Deum OP chant. You can listen to it there. It's one of my favorites. Catholic Radio was there for me when I needed it. Even though I didn't think I needed it, it was there for me. I want everybody to know that I'm giving, not so that I can sit there and say that I gave the GRN for any other reason, but this. I want that radio station to be there for anyone else who needs it also. They might not think they need it, but it's going to be there for them, whether it's in the future, whether it's right now. I want that radio station to always be there for them, just like it was there for me. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices they despised, but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs. Secondly, natural reason. Well, if the Bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs, the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed. And thirdly, the golden twins. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all Christian truth, doctrines, and beliefs. Remember, identical twins come from one egg. Uh, cherished by the churches for centuries, parishes tend to perform patriotic music that makes little or no mention of God, and that instead extols the nation. At least God bless America asks God to bless America, but other choices such as My Country Tis of Thee fail to invoke God until the fourth verse. And how many Catholic congregations ever get to the fourth verse at a weekday morning mass? That's a good point. What it's something that we should do a whole show on too. I mean, we did. If you go back to the very, very early shows that I did with my friend uh, Frater Garion at the time, Max, he was uh, he was a music major and a, a master's in sacred music, and we went through and we talked about sacred music. And this is a very important point that needs to be emphasized about the importance of music in mass, because the music is is pernicious in the sense that bad music you can't block out. When there's something scandalous in front of you, you can avert your eyes. You can keep custody of the eyes. But your ears, you cannot keep custody of the ears without just leaving the room or plugging them up with like, even when you plug it up, sound gets through. You can never fully divert your ears with unless you just remove yourself from the situation. So it's very pernicious in that sense that it's piercing. It goes, It speaks directly to the soul, which is why we need good music, especially this holy sacrifice. Finally, the Thanksgiving Day Mass, even though it is technically a votive Mass at a fixed time, appears in the sacramentary and on official calendars as part of the propers of saints. The traditional liturgical year also has fixed votive Masses, such as those for the Ember and Rogation Days, but these occasions have been thoroughly consecrated, even though some of their petitions are for temporal goods, such as fair weather or a good harvest. There is nothing jarring about seeing an Ember Day on the calendar. It fits in effortlessly with the rest of the liturgical season. The Thanksgiving Day, on the other hand, retains without alteration the name and character of a secular holiday. A celebration begun by anti-Catholic Puritan separatists sits on the church's sacred calendar, nestled among the feast days of the saints, thereby giving the impression that all are on the same level. That impression is only dependent on the prayers of this Mass itself, which secretly Obsequiously, obsequiously, meaning like, like veiled or hard to see, cavail to American self-regard. In the Catholic Church, liturgically speaking, every day of the year is Thanksgiving Day, writes Father Francis Weiser, for every day is an opportunity to celebrate the Eucharist derived from the Greek word for Thanksgiving. Yet Weiser also acknowledges a psychological need for special manifestations of gratitude. In the Middle Ages, exceptionally splendid masses of thanksgiving would be offered at the end of public crisis like an epidemic, a war, or natural disaster. And fixed annual thanksgiving, day, thanksgiving masses would be held after the harvest. 
Mindful of this history, the U.S. Church over a century ago began to give due recognition to Thanksgiving Day, for there is nothing wrong with designating a day of national Thanksgiving, even when it is by a secular government. But in all these cases, as we saw with the directives of Kentucky Bishop Mays, the Catholic hymn of Thanksgiving, the Te Deum, would conclude the Mass. In all these cases, the faithful would thank Almighty God without any admixture of erroneous or dubious historical claims in their solemn prayers. And in all these cases, a worldly occasion was subsumed into a spiritual act rather than the reverse. There is much for which to be grateful as a citizen of the United States of America, but not at the cost of polluting or compromising Catholic dogma with a nationalistic ideology. A massive Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Day? Yes, please. A Thanksgiving Day Mass? No, thank you. End of the article. So I think that's a great article. I think it's brilliant. I would highly recommend checking it out for yourself if you're interested at all in this topic. Go and read it yourself and look at some of the links that it's that it leads to because there's tons more to be said here about this topic. Are we as Catholics in 2021 allowed to re- eat meat on the Friday after Thanksgiving? And I'm going to read to you what they said here. This seems to be a fitting moment to mention that the existence or non-existence of this legendary turkey indult does not have any impact on the current obligations in place for Catholics in the U.S. And the current 1983 Code of Canon Law clearly states that the universal church, quote, abstinence from meat or from some other food as determined by the Episcopal Conference is to be observed on all Fridays unless this liberty should fall on a Friday. However, so right there. The 1983 Code of Canon Law says every person is to observe abstinence from meat or from some other food as termed by the Episcopal Conference on all Fridays. That's important to note. Every Catholic is bound to do this. Abstain from meat on Fridays. That's what it says there. It's a little bit more nuanced, and I'm got to get to that. But essentially, yes, we are still obliged to abstain from meat on Fridays. However, the current code also allows the National Episcopal Conference to, quote, substitute other forms of penances, especially works of charity, exercises of piety, in whole or in part, for abstinence and fast. In the United States, the Episcopal Conference issued a document in 1966 stating, quote, Friday should be, eat, Friday should be in each week something of what Lent is in the entire year. For this reason, we urge all to prepare for that weekly Easter that comes with each Sunday, by freely making of every Friday a day of self-denial and mortification and prayerful remembrance of the passion of Jesus Christ. Among the works of voluntary self-denial and personal penance, which we especially commend to our people for the future observance of Friday, even though we hereby terminate the traditional law of abstinence binding under pain of sin as a sole prescribed means of observing Friday, except during Lent, we give first place to abstinence from flesh meat, We do so in the hope that the Catholic community will ordinarily continue to abstain from meat by free choice, as formerly we did in obedience to church law, end quote. That is very idealistic, I would say, being charitable and devious 
if I'm not being charitable, because he essentially said, yes, I think uh, all Catholics should continue to abstain from meat on Fridays, but, you know, we don't want to bind you by mortal sin. We're just going to say you're required to do it. You should do it. You should desire to do it. But, you know, I mean, if you don't do it, it's not a sin. Whenever you tell someone that, they're immediately going to think, okay, well, then I don't have to do it, and they don't do it. And that's why so many traditional Catholics do abstain from meat on Fridays, and so many people who want to follow these traditional practices just do it anyways because they're doing it out of love of God, and they recognize, you know, it's no sin if I don't do it otherwise, but I desire to. I desire to keep these fast. I desire to be Catholic like our fathers were before us. Uh, The article goes on, therefore, it is clear that while all Catholics should offer a fitting sacrifice each week on Friday and should view abstinence from meat as the ancient, fitting, and primary way to offer the sacrifice, it is no longer an obligation in the United States that binds under pain of sin. As an interesting aside, while most countries in the 1960s did indeed jettison the obligation to abstinence from meat, there is a clear trend of Catholics around the world desiring to return to traditional practice. In 2011, the Catholic bishops of England and Wales restored the traditional obligations to Friday abstinence under pain of sin. Oh, I did not know that. Go England and Wales. Praise be to God. Okay, so I know Poland also, you don't eat meat on Fridays. Okay, let's see. That's So that's the that's the rundown. There's your answer. So that means you have to make up your mind whether you want to receive me, eat me on the Friday after Thanksgiving. It's up to you as you're not committing a mortal sin. And if you want to still you know, follow the law, okay, well, eat meat and then do something else. Wake up early, go to mass bright and early in the morning, pray for rosaries that day, donate your money to a charitable cause, do something to make up for not eating meat or for eating meat that day. Interesting, there are plenty of other mentions of dispensations from abstinence during the same year. Here are a few quick examples from 1958. All Connecticut dioceses were dispensed from abstinence on Memorial Day and July 4th. All dioceses in Pittsburgh were dispensed uh, from abstinence on Memorial Day and 4th of July. Bishops of Sacramento dispensed all Catholic visitors to the California State Fair on the Fridays of August 29th and September 5th. John the 23rd granted dispensation from abstinence on December 26th, the day after Christmas. Regarding the existence of a specific indult for American Catholics made by the Pope in 1958, not even, not, there's not a single corroborating reference. That's very interesting. The trend of holiday indults. An unexpected result of my research in this matter for the holidays, I gave a few non-Thanksgiving examples of abstinence on American holidays. A dispensation on February 12th for Lincoln's birthday in 1932. 1935, a dispensation on February 22nd, Washington's birthday. A dispensation for five civic holidays, including October 12th, Columbus Day in 1951. A papal dispensation for May 1st, a Labor Day in many countries. In 1960, a dispensation for the November 11th, which is Veterans Day. Quote, I found no mention of dispensation granting for abstinence on the Friday after Thanksgiving until 1958. And in there is a... Oh, wow. There's a Q&A that says, are Catholics allowed to eat meat on the Friday after Thanksgiving? Answer, no. So, there you go. This was must have been a rumor. and There must be some truth to this. Otherwise, people wouldn't be asking the question at that time period and getting answers like that. Then following the 1958 indult in 1959, there, was, there were no papal or Dawson dispensation granted for the Friday after Thanksgiving. This tells us that the Turkey indult of 1958 was an outlier. However, a trend started in the 19, in 1960 of dioceses around the nation granting indults for the Friday after Thanksgiving. Here are a few examples, by no means comprehensive to illustrate the point. 
The Diocese of Pittsburgh issued a Friday after Thanksgiving dispensation 1960, 61, 62, and 64. I wonder why not in 63. I wonder what happened that year. Diocese of Connecticut issued Friday after Thanksgiving dispensation 62 and 63. Diocese of Santa Rosa issued Friday from Thanksgiving dispensation 1963. Stockton, Diocese of Stockton, on 1962. San Francisco did 1962-1963. And here's an example of one. Diocese of Santa Rosa published... The most reverend bishop, by virtue of an apostolic indole, grants to the faithful of the diocese a dispensation for the obligation of abstinence on the Friday after Thanksgiving, November 29th. So, that's there you go, 1963. Alongside these specific examples, there are even larger developments like the Canadian Bishops' Conference completely abolishing all Ember Day and Lenten fasting and abstinence in 1960. Holy moly, what happened in 1960 in Canada? Summer and final wrinkle. Based on the 1959 Q&A exchange in Pittsburgh Catholic, it seems reasonable to think that the turkey indult was granted by the Pope for Americans in 1958. However, it was just once in 1958. It was not repeated on a papal level, and it's still bewildering that no official record has yet been found during the year of 1958 itself. And although the papal indult was not repeated, we can see the 1958 turkey indult appear to be a tipping point after which a trend of frequent and repeated dispensations are granted both for Thanksgiving and for many other civic holidays across America right up to 1966, when the American bishops removed the obligation altogether. Can it be any wonder that can it be any wonder there have been decades of confusion and rumors about abstinence and dispensations on the Friday after Thanksgiving? One final note of interest, you may have noticed the article from 1959 did not mention the name of the Pope who granted the indult in 1958. He is merely referred to as the Holy Father. Pope Pius XII died on October 9th, 1958, and Pope John XXIII took the throne less than 20 days later on October 28th, 1958. The Thanksgiving that, Thanksgiving that year fell on November 28th, until a future researcher finds conclusive proof of the announcement itself in 1958. Can we really even truly assume it was, in fact, Pius XII to grant the long-rumored papal turkey indole after all? Or could there be one more final wrinkle awaiting in this mysterious saga? Okay, that's the whole thing. If you want to check out the article, which I highly recommend, check it out because there's a lot of links here that were uh, citing other things that you can read and look forward to to find out more information. That's newliturgicalmovement.org. Catholic Radio was there for me when I needed it. Even though I didn't think I needed it, it was there for me. I want everybody to know that I'm giving, not so that I can sit there and say that I gave the GRN for any other reason but this. I want that radio station to be there for anyone else who needs it also. They may not think they need it, but it's going to be there for them, whether it's in the future, whether it's right now. I want that radio station to always be there for them, just like it was there for me. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. This is a Messy Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan. Sometimes it can seem that our family life is humdrum, monotonous, and insignificant. But Christ began his public ministry at the wedding at Cana. When we read this account in the gospel, we're reminded that our marriage, our ordinary family life, is important to God. Our Lord and Our Lady love our families, and they are present with us. They desire to change what is ordinary into the extraordinary. The Lord can take our simple and everyday tasks and make them holy. Like the servants at the wedding at Cana, we need to notice when we run out of wine, when we run out of joy, when we run out of love. It is then that we turn to Our Lady and ask for her help. 
She can bring Christ into our lives, our ordinary water, and transform it into wine. And when we invite Christ into our lives to transform us, He creates the best wine of all. For more advice, ideas, and encouragement, visit us at MessyFamilyProject.org. Donnie, who was the first pope to whom Jesus said, You are the rock upon which I will build my church? St. Peter. And who is the current pope? Pope Francis. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Hi, this is Kim. This is Courage. And this is Chastity from 321 Voices. And you are listening to 1430 AM. Radio for your soul. KSHJ Houston. Jesus Christ, welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you, praise be to God. So uh, hopefully you joined us in the last hour and you, you have a clearer picture now on whether or not you can or cannot eat meat on Friday after Thanksgiving. The Was answer, that clear? The answer is... Aha! Yes. You can eat meat on Fridays? Yeah, you can eat meat on Fridays. Hmm. Church says you can, but you should probably uh, do some penance instead. Right. So, I'd say uh, giving up meat is an optional penance. You could give up meat. Yeah. You could uh, clean up the house. You what? could... Uh, do uh, the honeydew list. Do the honeydew list. You could uh, go to a soup kitchen. You could do those things. Or you could just abstain from meat on Fridays. Yeah. Optional. You could kneel and mm-hmm. outstretch your arms in a cross... And sit there for eight I hours. See. I see. For eight hours? Yeah, eight hours. Wow. You've been talking to my wife again, <laughs> trying to give me these ideas. Hey, uh, praise be to God. Uh, we're excited that you are on the program today. Do not forget that uh, you should also be a part of our CDTN Center email list, where we send you goodies. We harass you in the inbox every single Friday. Let's just say most Fridays anyway. Uh, you can get in on that by going to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Or you can pull out your cell phone and simply text the letters GRN to the number 42828. So text GRN to the number 42828. That'll also put you on the CDT Insider email list. And uh, every Friday I like to send you some goodies in your inbox. And for your trouble, I will send you a free talk by Father Bill Casey, uh, the Fathers of Mercy on the State of the Union of the Church, where we are, where we are at now and where we are headed. It's a powerful 30-minute conversation. You're going to love it. Make sure to get in on the CDT Insider email list right now. Hey, guys, I got a pop quiz for you, though. All right. Uh, I wonder if you could name for me the top 10 Catholic countries in the world. Top 10, 100%. Countries. Top 10 countries. Let's go with number 10. Who do you think is number 10? Number 10. On the list of Catholic countries around the world. Brazil. Definitely not number 10. America. Not number 10. Um, Canada. Not number 10. France. Nope. Um, what part of the world are we talking about? All of it? All of the world. I know, but give the me a The whole hint. wide world. Give me a hint. 
All now, right. are we talking about Pangea or are we talking about modern world? Uh, <laughs> Spain. Pangea. <laughs> Atlantis? Does that count? Uh, so coming in at number 10. Spain. No. Dang it. Coming in at number 10 is the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Hmm. Fascinating. Number 10. Uh, they have, uh, let's see, 28 million citizens practicing Catholicism. Approximately 75% of the population identifies as Christian, 33% being Catholic. So that's number 10. Number 9. Coming in at number 9. Spain. Uh, the, dude, <laughs> is that going to be your answer for all of them? Germany. Maybe. I'm going to keep guessing Germany. Spain. I'm going to keep guessing Spain until I get it right. Uh, well, good news for you. Spain is at number nine. Let's go! <laughs> Followed by Portugal. Uh, number no, no, hold on. Number nine, 61.3% of the citizens identify as Catholic. We're talking about Catholic Spain. Isabel and Ferdinand defeated the Muslims occupiers in their country when their 700-year conquistador Bottom of reconquistering the, list. the Spain, Spanish the, peninsula. The king of Spain returns to his throne. And only 61% of that country is Catholic now. Thir- uh, Spain will rise again. Th- over 32 million residents are practicing the... F- well, I should say identify as Catholic. Practicing may be a bit stretch, a bit of a stretch for, for, Span- for Spaniards. Coming in at number eight on the list, who would you guess? Portugal. Dominican Republic. Ireland. Negative on all of those. What? No, no part sir. of the world. Ger- no, 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 Germany's not even on the list. Right. Poland. Oh, Poland. Poland. Yes, I was going to say it's, Poland. I thought Poland would that be was, higher on the list. That was no. my next, that was my next no, guess. No, man. Poland coming in at number eight here. Number eight? Uh, this is according, by the way, to the Catholic World Mission uh, Society. Oh, CatholicWorldMission.org. They're saying Poland. It's probably rising. Uh, Poland is very religious, with over 33 million citizens practicing Catholicism, which makes up around 87% of the population. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. Poland. Poland for coming in at number eight. Number seven. Mm, Dominican Republic. Who could be better than Poland? Spain. Oh, wait, we already did. Um, Portugal. France. Ireland. France. France. No. No. Colombia. Colombia is <laughs> on the board at number seven, 75 percent of the of the country, a population, uh, but it amounts to Colombia, part of Spain. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> thirty six million Catholics in the country, seventy five percent of the population. Next so, one is Mexico, coming in at number six. Mexico, Guatemala, Nicaragua, um, nope. Dominican Republic, Puerto nope. Rico, no, nope. Venezuela, uh, no, Ecuador, Ecuador, France, no. France, yes, France. France. What? Go. France. What about Argentina? The el- no, eldest daughter of the Church, France. Approximately six. 40, That's pretty good. That's not bad. Forty million citizens uh, have uh, stood near a Catholic church at some point. One might say days. forty million is more than seven. <laughs> they have uh, walked past the shadow of a Catholic. The next one is have they walked past Notre Dame? Uh, yeah. Next one is Italy. Sixty-three uh, percent to sixty-six percent of the French population still identifies as Catholic. Rudy, you say the next one's Italy? Italy. Num- number five. Someone's Googled the answer. Italia. Somebody is it? cheating. It is number five is Italy, of course. Let's go! Italy. Italy. 50.4 million Catholics living in the country. 78% of its citizens are identifying as Catholic there. All right, the next one's going to be right. just a completely random one. Number four. Coming in at number four. Namibia. <laughs> Namibia? Namibia. Namibia? Can I count South Africa as well as a country? <laughs> no. Okay. South no. Africa. Yeah, I guess you can. Oh, it is the a Philippines. Country. The Philippines. Negative. Dang it. Um, 
Yeah, the Philippines is number a good four. One. Who would you Who would you guess? Uh, I mean, France is already off the table. Italy's is, off the table. So is this Australia. by pure about? This is numbers though. This isn't percentage. Nobody's right? mentioned Nigeria. This is numbers though, right? What? Oh, that's true. Not percentages. We're talking percentage of population. Percentage of population. But but also okay. No, I take that back. It's about pure numbers. Pure numbers. They do offer the percentage of population. If we're going pure numbers, America's got to be like number one. Got to oh. be top three. Interesting. Um, so, but who's number four is the question. Who has more numbers? Numbers. Just pure numbers. Dude, pure gotta, numbers. Italy was at 50.4 million. He already said France. He already said Spain. Yep. <sighs> he said it's not the Philippines. Not the Philippines. Uh, Brazil? It's Ireland. No, Brazil's got to be like number one. Brazil is Bra- not. Brazil's got to be number one. Okay, coming in at number four, the United States of what? America. What? <laughs> I, was close. I was close. The list. I was close. United States uh, has the uh, as one of the highest Catholic populations wow. globally, with approximately 54, 50, rather fifty one million adults identifying as Catholic. About twenty one percent of the population. Take that, you Protestant founding fathers. But Mexico by numbers. All right, so uh, yeah, number four. By the way, uh, Maryland, that Catholic colony, was uh, invaded by the folks, good folks in Delaware. Thanks, in good Island. folks in Delaware. You're the best. All right, coming in at number three. Who would you guess? Number the Philippines. Three. Oh, done. Easy. Philippines is the go. correct answer. 76 million, <laughs> 76 million Catholics in the Philippines. Okay, it's easy now. 81% it's of its citizens identifying as Catholic, although there is a strong push for for Islam in the Philippines. Let's pray for them. Right, yeah, number one true. is Brazil. Number two is Mexico. It's got to be. There's no other options. What do you mean there's no other options? There's no other options. Who else would it be? You still haven't mentioned Nigeria. Nigeria is a small country. We're talking pure numbers. Pure numbers, you say. It's huh? got to be. There's literally no other options. So it's number two, coming in at number two on the top ten list of Catholic, Rudy, predominantly Catholic countries. Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea for the <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Rudy. Mexico. Go with me. See? Mexico. Yes. Mexico. Uh, 98.8 million citizens identifying as Catholic. The overall population consists of 72.1% of its citizens. Uh, wow. Okay. Kinda, Praise be to God. Kind of reminds kinda. me of the incredible heroic journey of Hernan Cortez, 1519, going to convert its people. Sleeping giants. And to destroy Satan himself, who was being worshipped directly in their temples. Did he end up succeeding in destroying Satan himself? He did. Praise wow. be to God. Based. Satan is no more. Well, I wish that was the case. <laughs> That's a different story for a different show. All right, number one. Number one on the top ten list of predominantly Catholic country populations. Ireland. Number one is Ireland. They weren't even on the list what? at all. Ireland Are you kidding? didn't even make the top ten. They're an island. They probably only have million people on, the, on their didn't. island. So Canada. Make the top ten. Canada. No, it's Brazil. Nobody I'm mentioned per- Portugal. Portugal did not make the top ten. Portugal's too small. What yeah. about Brazil? Brazil is massive. Brazil massive. Has, the, has the most population mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. almost any mm-hmm. country except for like Japan and not uh-huh. Japan, China uh-huh. and Russia. And they're not Catholic. So it has to be Brazil. Nobody mentions Malta. Really? Malta has like Malta? what? 12 people? 13? <laughs> is that where Malts come from? Uh, no. All right. Coming in at number one is Brazil. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. It is one of the most devout Catholic countries globally. With approximately 54.2% of people identifying as Catholic, the percentage translates to roughly 126.8 million Catholics in Brazil. That's pretty important. That's pretty pretty massive. 126.8 million Catholics in just that one country. But you know what's fascinating is uh, they didn't. I would love to know what how other countries you know uh, compare. For instance, how many Christians are in China? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then we don't how know. do they break up by identifying like Catholic versus non-Catholic? I Catholic would love versus to know. state Catholic. 
or just underground against China would be hard. Hard I would out. love to know where where China is because I mean people some of the guests we've had in the past Steve Mosier for instance have all said there is a massive Christian population in China mm. so it would be neat to see where that lines up but nonetheless that's your top 10 countries with large Catholic populations by the Catholic World Mission and uh, what an opportunity we have in the world missions over this next season of Holy Advent praise be to God Advent season is upon us, and it's an opportunity for us to take a break uh, from the ordinary and do something extraordinary in the way of penance, in the way of preparation, in the way of awaiting the incarnation of our Lord and the second coming of Christ, which I think is amazing, right? I mean, you think of uh, you think of Advent, and you're like, I'm looking for the little baby in the manger. <laughs> Instead, and Jesus coming on the clouds for Instead, judgment. You're waiting for the horrors of the apocalypse. Yeah, that's that's what the church presents us in the season of Advent. Adrian, I know that recently you uh, sat down with Dr. Anthony Stein on his show, Return to Tradition, and you guys talked about this very subject. Absolutely. We just talked about it on Saturday, I believe, and you know it's really interesting because Advent, you know, like you just said, we are focusing on two things because you know Advent meaning to come to, Advenio to come or to come to. It is uh, the coming of Christ and his incarnation, which is why we celebrate Christmas, the nativity. But also, like you mentioned, the coming of our Lord at the second coming, his coming on the clouds, his coming for the final judgment. Hope I don't miss that. Those things. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll be there. Don't worry. You'll be there. Whether you make it while you're alive is a different question. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They, it's also very traditional during the season of Advent because you have the, the four Sundays of Advent, right? Mm-hmm. And you meditate on the four Last things, yeah. death, mm. judgment, heaven, heaven, and hell. hell. So those are the things that tend to be meditated yeah. upon. Mm. It's interesting, though, because Advent is one of the earliest feasts that we have a record of. And it's kind of interesting as well is that, you know, it used to not be four weeks. What was it before? It used to be six weeks long. Yeah, it was so, another Lent. It was another Lent. And it was really, it was uh, not quite as intense as Lent. It was never as intense as Lent was. However, it was kind of a mini Lent. It was like a mini Lent. It was like a mini Lent. And it was six weeks long in the Ambrosian and the Mozarabic rites. They would uh, start at the Feast of St. Martin, St. Martin's Mass. So mm-hmm. they have a major feast for St. Martin's Mass. And then that would lead. And so they would also eat goose. So, you know, really? thinking, uh, t- Thanksgiving turkey. So they were well, doing they were, a turducken oh, thing. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> turducken Got thing. It. <laughs> and so they did the six weeks leading up to the coming of Christ. It was later uh, shrunk to five shrunk? weeks uh, in the Roman church. Mm-hmm. So Gregory the Great, it's interesting. St. Augustine talks about when he writes on the ages of time, he has it divided as six ages of time. Which Augustine was what, 400s? Yeah. And so then Gregory the Great comes in about 150 years later, and Gregory the Great talks about the five ages of the, uh, of the coming of Christ, before the coming of Christ, and that was shrunk to the coming of Advent. And so because of that, Augustine says six weeks, therefore we talked about the five uh, weeks that so you have the five ages mm-hmm. that lead to the age of, of the Christ. Yeah. And so that's the five weeks of Advent. And then finally, with Gregory the Great, he has the five ages and the four ages that lead to the coming of Christ. So he kind of just restructured it. Amazing. And so from Gregory the Great in the 500s, we have Advent the way we have it now. Now, in terms of the fasting laws, and here is a great suggestion of something that you could do in your family, and your own home. Because, you know, we have all these Christmas celebrations that are happening, and we're like, oh, I want to participate. Well, the traditional practice was 
doing fasting on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So that means you could also do other things. You could still, on Saturday, go to that Christmas party, still have those cookies, yeah. um, but also keep the penitential season of Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Or if that doesn't work for you, pick three days. There's no rules. This is purely a love offering to God, something out of charity that you do. So pick three days and say, I'm going to do some more intense fasting just for three days a week. And that's my suggestion uh, for other people. Yeah, and I think Advent is a beautiful season, uh, but it's one of, like we just said, penance, penitential time. Uh, we're going to go to a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about some of those traditions that we do in my family, and I'd love to know what they, you do in your family, and we'll, we'll ask the same of Rudy and Adrian. But Advent is upon us. Do you have a plan in place? Are you ready to go, or are you winging it like we always do? All of that and more coming off of Catholic Drive Time. Do us a favor. Share us with a friend. We'll be right back. Why do Catholics call Mary the Queen of Heaven? Doesn't God rebuke the Israelites in the Old Testament for worshiping a false goddess called the Queen of Heaven? Should we not refer to Mary with that title, therefore, since it's a title of a false god? In Jeremiah 7, verse 18, God is indeed upset with the Israelites for worshiping a false goddess called the Queen of Heaven. However, just because God rebuked them for worshiping the false Queen of Heaven doesn't mean that we cannot pay honor to the true Queen of Heaven, the Blessed Mother. That type of thinking would lead you to believe that just because people worship a false god that they call God, we therefore should not call the true God by that same name, God, because that's the same name the idolaters use for their God. That is faulty logic and it makes no sense whatsoever. Again, the fact that there is a false queen of heaven does not lead to the conclusion that we worship a false goddess when we call Mary the queen of heaven. Just as the fact that there is a false God does not lead to the conclusion that we worship a false God when we call our Father in heaven God. And there is a true Queen of Heaven. We see this quite clearly in Revelation 12, verse 1. And a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Let's see. There's a woman. She's in heaven. And she has a crown on her head. I could be wrong, but I don't think that's the cleaning lady. No, it's the true Queen of Heaven, Mary, the mother of the male child who is to rule the nations. We do not worship Mary, we honor her just as Jesus honors her. So there is absolutely nothing wrong from a scriptural point of view in calling Mary the Queen of Heaven and in honoring her just as Jesus honors her. After all, if Jesus is the King, then Mary is truly the Queen Mother of Heaven. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Praise me to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Advent. Advent. Is it truly a season of joy? Is it a season of penance? Could it be both? We're going to have that conversation in this segment we're glad you're here with us, and I wonder, are you ready for it? Uh, of course, we have lots of traditions in my family. I'm sure you do in yours as well, and you can always uh, comment on our, one of our live video feeds, grnonline.com forward slash cdt. Let us know what you think and what you do in your family. I know in ours, my wife has a whole list <laughs> of tra- Advent <laughs> traditions, like number one, 
force every member of the family to get dressed up in the exact same pajamas. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know where that started in the early church history, but somehow back there that's a that's a thing. Because, boy, did she ever... Yeah, I actually read that in St. Hildegard of Bingen. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> not St. Hildegard. Come on now. They have to be made out of linen, you know. They have to be biblically accurate. Yes, of the Clothing. finest yeah. Scottish sheep. They, I, yeah. got, I got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for whatever reason, we, that's a big thing in our home. But of course, we, we have a devotion to St. Nicholas uh, of Myra. Uh, not jolly old, but uh, <laughs> the St. Nicholas. And uh, what an incredible story he has. Uh, one of the things we do every year, of course, is we go visit St. Nicholas. Okay, technically, it's a Dutchman dressed up in a bishop's costume. But nonetheless, we've been doing it for years. What? We've been doing it for years. And it's fascinating. This guy, I mean... We've been doing this probably 15 years now. Wow. And he, like, he knows us. And, like, uh, we go to the same place uh, every year. He uh, he appears at this store, this little quaint boutique Dutch store near our house. And we go and we visit him. We bring him gifts, actually. <laughs> um, and it's always a joy to see him. And this is my wife. She was like, I think during the pandemic, she's like, we can't, we can't go see the St. Nicholas anymore. So mm. she went out and bought her own St. Nicholas costume. And then we co-opted Josh Patterson. <laughs> to, to wear it. It was a listener in front of the show uh, goes to our church, and uh, we, we made him dress up as St. Nicholas at our church. And so we're, now it's a new tradition. So now Josh is dressing up every year as St. Nicholas <laughs> for our for our parish so all the kids can have their picture taken with St. Nicholas, the you know, bishop, not not jolly old. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, Joe, because I borrowed your... Uh, yeah, your, that's your, right, you did. St. Nick, uh, last, was it last year? I think it was last year. Was it last year or year before? I, I forget. It was year before. Years start blending together. Yeah. But I dressed up as St. Nicholas for the TFP was having an Advent um, oh, wow. event. On, and so I went over and we had written out a skit mm. where Arius comes to challenge the doctrine of our Lord and St. <laughs> Nicholas uh, destroys him and then beats him up. Did you, did you like jump off of a chair and lay the hammer on him or no, what? So, like, like that, a pile driver? Or? Yeah. I grabbed him yeah. and, I, and I just jumped backwards <laughs> over him. And, and then great. you, you throw him into the outhouse yeah, and he died. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. His bowels exploded. His bowels exploded. Poor no, Arius. It was really yeah. cool because we, we also did pinatas because I didn't know this. I had, I learned yeah. this for, the uh, for the event was uh, the the story of the pinata, and apparently it's a symbol of Christmas, of yeah. Advent leading to Christmas. Yeah, and so we we talked about that as well, and Neat. I was very interested. Yeah, and we of course do other Saint Nicholas traditions. You know the uh, the, the the gold coin, really they're just chocolates, <laughs> uh, and uh, oranges in the shoes. We do all of that, of course, but we also uh, reread the story of Saint Nicholas of Myra. We have a documentary film we watch on his the life of his. Of his life, rather. And, of course, you have uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe in the middle of Advent mm. season as well. Mm. And I have a special devotion to her. And you so, do? Yeah, of course. What? Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Like uh, the name of our radio station? Oh, man, isn't it amazing? Radio for your soul. And then, of course, you know, there's the penitential practices the Church, you know, uh, has asked us to, to prepare ourselves for the coming incarnation of Christ. As we said in the last segment, the, the coming of the second coming of our Lord. So preparing for for that feast day and the season of Christmas by making a good and holy confession. Like that's another big tradition, right? It's just preparing yourself, make your confession, you know, go into this Christmas that's my season. Weekly, that's my weekly uh, tradition. Living in a state of grace. Yeah, but wouldn't you argue, though, even though it's your routine all the time, uh, praise be to God for it, there are those seasons, Lent being one of them, Advent being another, 
where you, you kind of pay a little more closer attention. Maybe you do a deeper yeah. examination of conscience, you know, and it, it becomes something a little bit more special. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah, that's it's such an important aspect of this season is to prepare your soul for the for that uh, that judgment that we're talking about, you know. And I think that gets lost in in our discussions about Advent because uh, for for whatever reason, I, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, but a lot of the priests will just say, "Look, this is a a, um, a a time of patient waiting," and you know, you get into this this concept, but you forget also that it's it's a reminder. It's almost a, a little memento mori. Mm. And you might be wondering, why are we even talking about Advent? Well, Advent's this weekend, November 27th, and uh, I'm just reminded of uh, of this uh, this this waiting. You know, so many yeah. so many uh, centuries mm. the Israelites waited for the Messiah, yeah, and they let him pass by. Yeah, you know, they pass by. Um, what about traditions in your family, uh, like? One of the other things that we do is we have do a, a corporal work of mercy yeah. or two in the season of Advent as a family. Take me with you. But what do you guys do? Uh, we don't really have all those those things sorted out. Mm. You know, we just interviewed uh, Theoni Bell the other day for uh, for Share-a-thon. Uh, for Shareathon, which, which is, is coming up off next week. Consider uh, consider a, a, a generous donation to the Guadalupe Radio Network, but uh, you know we we interviewed her for uh, for a prize. Uh, we're giving out this talk, and she mentioned you know when I was growing up, uh, we didn't have anything of what we wanted to do. Like we weren't Catholic, we didn't discuss anything spiritual, we didn't do anything. So she was saying, "I'm going to go the opposite way, mm. just short of going crazy, right?" And so when it comes to these traditions. You know, my wife and I were, were feeling our, our ourselves through the through the dark and, and trying to figure out what we're going to incorporate into our family because we never grew up with any of these things. Mm-hmm. And so we have an opportunity to to raise our, our kids. You know, I have my one-year-old daughter and another daughter on the way. We're going to be able to create these beautiful traditions. And if I, I just encourage our listeners, you know, if you haven't done anything like this before – you should kind of look into it a little bit, look yeah. into liturgical living. You know, one of the simple things that we've done, though, is we've done the Advent wreath. Sure. So we, we usually put out the, the wreath and we, we contemplate the, the passing of the time in Advent. What about the Jesse tree? Jesse tree I've heard of, but we don't do that. We do that. I think we're going to do that this year. Yeah, retelling of the, the story of salvation history. Yeah. It's a great opportunity to have, you know, conversations with your kids, uh, like a little Bible study. You know, we love that. We do that in our home all the time. What about you, Adrian? What traditions, besides the piñata, are, are you into pinata. for Advent? No, yeah. Our family really, you know, we growing up, we didn't really have Advent as a, as a very distinct thing from Christmas. We celebrated Christmas all the way through. I mean, we had mm-hmm. an Advent wreath, as everyone does. We, we put up our Christmas tree. We didn't mm-hmm. know the Jesse tree is a very new thing in my mind. Never really heard of it. I do think it's interesting. I just had a conversation with my buddy Timothy, which um, I'll be posting that on my my personal podcast, Catholic Conversations, where we talk about cultural Catholicism, and not as a bad thing, as a good thing. Cultural Catholicism, because you know we have all these traditions that have been floating around, like the Jesse tree, the pinata, all these different things, and as Americans, each one of us has a different heritage, a different culture. And what would be amazing is to find out what did your culture, your family history as mm-hmm. Catholics, yeah. what did they do during Advent? 
and then maybe adopt some of those things. Like if you're um, Hispanic, maybe in España, you would have the piñata. If you were, I don't know where the Jesse tree comes from, culturally speaking, but maybe that was a tradition in your culture. Maybe bring that in. Um, find these things and, and attach to them. I yeah. think it's a it's a very beautiful idea. Yeah, it's and the other thing too is one of the things we do as a family, we've been doing it years, many years now, is we put together like a stocking full of uh, uh, prayer cards and, and goodies, and then we we gift it to like a stranger, like a neighbor. We don't want them to know it's from us. It's completely anonymous. Now they know. <laughs> the, the trouble is you sneak up at night to put it at their door. Everybody's got it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And they got it's, a ring doorbell. It's Texas. You don't want to be sneaking around people's doors at night. You know, it can be hair-raising, and they all got camera cameras on their doors. So it's a little <laughs> harder to, like, uh, remain anonymous and... Uh, but nonetheless, that's that's one of the things we do as a family is we we try to uh, become like a, a secret, a secret Santa, so to speak, for a neighbor. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so there's wonderful opportunities you have during the holy season of Lent to do things Out of it. as a family. What did I say? Lent. Lent. Well, it's a mini Lent. Right? I mean, it's a penitential season. It's it a mini-Lent. So yeah. Advent is a wonderful opportunity for us to prepare to elevate ourselves by intentional action as a family and individually. So personally, one of the things I like to do during the holy season of Advent is to read some book, uh, some meditative spiritual work, or I try to identify some source. I used to love to read Benedict XVI's uh, treatise on the nativity narratives, in the Gospels, I thought that was very, very good. So you, there's lots of things we can do uh, to uh, to prepare ourselves to take oppor- take this opportunity to grow in the, in the in the order of perfection, to grow in grace, and to prepare ourselves by going to making a holy confession, especially if you don't make that a regular part of your life. So uh, wonderful things there to do. Any uh, any advice from uh, from any of you, real quick? Sing the O antiphons. Yeah. Oh, learn yeah. some Advent carols. Mm-hmm. Oh, Vinny, mm-hmm. Vinny, Emmanuel, come, come, mm-hmm. Emmanuel. The That's Angel Gabriel, mm-hmm. Alma Redemptoris Mater, the Rate Chaley. All of those are bangers. Absolutely. Bangers. The Flores de Rate Chiesi. Up number. Excellent. Up ten spots to number nine. It's <laughs> O Salutaris. So anyway, uh, praise be to God. Thanks for having a laugh and a chuckle and a good conversation with us today. We really appreciate it. Hopefully, your Thanksgiving has been fantastic. Hopefully, you didn't kill yourself in Black Friday deals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, we're going to be back live in the studio on Monday for a brand new week of Catholic Drive Time. And uh, plus, we have share coming. Do us a favor. Share us with a friend. And prayerfully consider a financial gift to the Guadalupe Radio Network. It means all the world to us. God bless you. God love you. We'll have a great weekend. We'll see you then. for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas.
Welcome to Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Catherine of Alexandria. We offer this Mass for all of our online viewers and for all those listening to us through Guadalupe Radio. Ye blessed souls at rest who ran this earthly race and now from sin released Behold the Savior's face, God's praises sound. As in his sight with sweet delight, he do abound. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Catherine of Alexandria, who gave her life as a martyr in Alexandria, Egypt, living in the late 200s and the early 300s. Historical information about her life is sketchy, but it is sometimes said that she was the daughter of the governor, that she was extremely intelligent and well-educated, that she confronted the emperor about his unjust persecution, and succeeded in convincing some of his best philosophers and even his wife of the truth of Christianity, and then gave her life as a martyr. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. May Almighty God have mercy on us. Forgive us our sins and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty ever-living God, who gave St. Catherine of Alexandria to your people as a virgin and an invincible martyr, grant that through her intercession we may be strengthened in faith and constancy and spend ourselves without reserve for the unity of the Church. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Revelation. I, John, saw an angel come down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the abyss and a heavy chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, which is the devil or Satan, and tied it up for a thousand years and threw it into the abyss, which he locked over it and sealed so that it could no longer lead nations astray until the thousand years are completed. After this, it is to be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, those who sat on them were entrusted with judgment. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast or its image, nor had accepted its mark on their foreheads or hands. They came to life, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Next I saw a large white throne, and the one who was sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, the great and the lowly, standing before the throne, and scrolls were opened. 
Then another scroll was opened, the book of life. The dead were judged according to their deeds by what was written in the scrolls. The sea gave up its dead, and death and Hades gave up their dead. All the dead were judged according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the pool of fire. This pool of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the pool of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The word of the Lord. Here God lives among his people. My soul yearns and pines for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Here God lives among his people. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest in which she puts her young. Your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed they who dwell in your house. Continually they praise you. Blessed are the men whose strength you are. They go from strength to strength. Here God lives among his people. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Stand erect and raise your hands, because your redemption is at hand. Alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus told his disciples a parable. Consider the fig tree and all the other trees. When their buds burst open, you see for yourselves and know that summer is now near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Amen, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The Gospel of the Lord. This week in our Gospel reading, we've been hearing St. Luke's chapter 21, in which our Lord Jesus, on Tuesday of Holy Week, is speaking about the things that will come. And one of the things that St. Luke does for us, as we read his Gospel, is that he shows how Jesus distinguished between three different things. One of these was the coming destruction of Jerusalem. Another was, after this, his second coming. But then the other thing is, what would happen before any of this happened, the persecutions and even the wars and insurrections. So he distinguishes these, these three things that he talks about but that are different from each other. But here as he concludes this chapter, that he says this generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. 
Indeed, the destruction of Jerusalem, we know the siege and the destruction took place in 70 AD, less than 40 years after he spoke these words. While that generation was still living, our Lord Jesus told the truth. We're still looking forward, very much so, in fact, to the, the season that is coming, the season of Advent, to his second coming, praying and asking that he will come quickly. And during this month of November, we're especially thinking about the last things. And that traditional list of the four last things focuses upon the things that happen to the individual soul. So when you or I die, death, then our soul and body separates, and our soul then goes directly to judgment, the particular judgment that is the individual judgment just for us, that, that is the one person who has just died. And there, our life is evaluated and we receive what we have chosen. Hopefully we will not be receiving hell, which would mean that we had persisted in mortal sin, refusing all of God's merciful, loving invitations to come back to Him. If we have... Uh, been died in the friendship and grace of, of God and perfectly purified, then we will be going to heaven. If, on the other hand, we have died in the friendship and grace of God but not yet perfectly purified, then we will receive final purification, purgatory. So this is what happens to the individual soul. But in our first reading, as we come toward the end of the book of Revelation, we now hear about what happens to the universe as a whole. Because after all of this, what will happen? We hear about how our Lord Jesus will come again, triumphantly in glory, His second coming. And then when He comes in His second coming, then He will carry out several actions. One of these is to raise the dead. All the dead, every single one, rejoining soul and body, including you and me, if we have died before this point. And then having done this, He will then carry out what we hear uh, described here from the large white throne, the general judgment. That is, if previously there was the particular judgment, one person at a time, now it is for the entire human race of all time, all at once. And then it will carry out the transformation of the universe into what is called the new heavens and the new earth. And for those who are destined to heaven, he will transform our bodies to be like his own risen body. Right? As we saw him after the resurrection. No longer able to suffer or die, but beautiful and glorious. And receiving the blessedness of heaven, not only in our souls, but also in our bodies. This then is what we look forward to. Not only what happens to us individually, but then this transformation of the whole universe. Today we celebrate St. Catherine of Alexandria. As I mentioned at the beginning, firm historical information on her is a little sketchy. But, I've read many stories, and here's one that I especially like about her. The story is that she was the daughter of the local governor, and very wealthy, also extremely beautiful, and also extremely intelligent and well-educated. Her mother wanted her to marry, and she said, you know what, I'm not marrying any man unless he's at least as wealthy and intelligent and beautiful as me. And it said that all of her suitors then, then gave up because they all knew they were lacking in at least one of those ways. I mean, who could be as wealthy and intelligent and beautiful as her? Then it came about that she had a dream in which there was the Virgin Mary and her son, our Lord Jesus. And the Virgin Mary was, was pointing his attention to her. And he said, no, I, I'm not interested in her. She's too ugly. She's too foolish. What? How could he say that about her? 
But what, what had happened was she had not been transformed in baptism. And once she had sought out and come to faith and received baptism, then, then he recognized that now she was beautiful and now she was wise. And she experienced a mystical marriage receiving a ring upon her finger. And so it's no wonder that when the emperor came and began persecuting people in her country, she stood up to him. How could she not when she was espoused to someone who was, in the truest sense, wealthier, more intelligent, more beautiful than she had been. Of course, she would stand up for him and for his truth. We think of that. I think we recognize that in where we're headed. Our reading today ended after just the first two verses of chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. But let me read a few more. This is where we are headed. This is where our Lord Jesus calls us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The sea symbolized the action of evil and of, of demons. I also saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, God's dwelling is with the human race. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will always be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death or mourning, wailing or pain, for the old order has passed away. The one who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The victor will inherit these gifts, and I shall be his God, and he will be my son. Behold, I make all things new. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And now let us stand and bring our petitions before God. That the Lord may grant a constant vitality to his church. Let us pray to the Lord. That he may grant peace and prosperity to all peoples. Let us pray to the Lord. That he may help the poor and the destitute. Let us pray to the Lord. That he may remember all suffering families within our community. Let us pray to the Lord. For the needs of each of the members of the religious missionaries of St. Dominic and for the repose of the soul of all the deceased members of their community, let us pray to the Lord. That the Holy Spirit may teach us to do today what is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. Let us pray to the Lord. O Lord, we seek your mercy, and we ask that you receive with kindness the prayers that we have addressed to you with faith through Christ our Lord.
pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the offerings we bring in celebration of blessed Catherine of Alexandria win your gracious acceptance, O Lord, we pray, just as the struggle of her suffering and passion was pleasing to you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Be Lift up your hearts. Up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. For you are glorified when your saints are praised. Their very sufferings are but wonders of your might. In your mercy you give ardor to their faith. To their endurance you grant firm resolve. And in their struggle the victory is yours through Christ our Lord. Therefore, all creatures of heaven and earth, Sing a new song in adoration. And we with all the host of angels cry out, and without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabahod, Lenis Unceli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna, excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered with, willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. similar way when supper was ended he took the chalice and once more giving thanks he gave it to his disciples saying take this all of you and drink from it for this is the chalice of my blood the blood of the new and eternal covenant which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins do this in memory of me The mystery of faith. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, 
giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. On you stegegi, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed.
the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will lead them to the springs of the waters of life. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who bestowed on blessed Catherine of Alexandria a crown among the saints for her twofold triumph of virginity and martyrdom, grant, we pray, through the power of this sacrament, that bravely overcoming every evil, we may attain the glory of heaven. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Salve Regina. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. 
And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every Hi, I'm Samantha from Presentation Catholic Church. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Who said, peace 